there's something about the sand belt that just it, it comes into its own when you've got a scorecard in your pocket and you're playing 72 hole stroke play. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another Fire Drill podcast. Um, have online here Jeff Ogilvy from Melbourne, Michael Bamberger from Philadelphia. We wanted to talk about the coolest event in golf. Well, I guess it's up there with the Wishbone Brawl. We'll call them one and one A, but um, the Sandbelt Classic, uh, which Jeff is the the host of, and it was his inspired idea. I will be traveling down there with a couple other Fire Pit staffers, Colton Nedler, Benny Westcott. We're gonna we're gonna blow out the coverage. Super excited to be there. I, I love the city of Melbourne. I love the Sandbelt Golf Courses. So we just want to preview um, this this great tournament and get folks excited about it. Jeff, can you talk about what's going to be new this year in the second annual playing of, of the Sandbelt Invitational? We're playing uh, four courses, four days. So Kingston Heath, Royal Melbourne, Yarra Yarra, and Peninsula Kingswood. The only difference in the courses that we play the North Course at Peninsula Kingswood this year, not the South Course. Um, some would say that's an upgrade. I think it's just to move sideways. They're both amazing. So I think it's going to be fun. Um, it's a bit more dramatic to look at the North. So that's going to be good. Um, a little bit better field, I guess. Cam Davis is coming to play, which is pretty cool. President's Cup player. Um, and a bunch of other kids that the kids have been lobbying us all year to get in the tournament, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> parent, parents are calling us and, um, coaches are calling us. No, so that's going to be really good. We haven't really, uh, We've just elevated all the little things, you know, a bit like you mentioned the wishbone before. Every time that happens, it seems like it just gets a little bit better around the edges. You know, the concept has always been the winner and I think the concept of the sandbelt's the winner. Um, just elevating it, better balls on the range, yardage books, better food in the clubhouse for them, like a bit more of an organised sort of system, the pre-tournament registration where they all turn up a couple of days before, a bit like we do at Pebble, you know, or a tournament, a normal tour event, we all register and they all get their books and all their stuff and their goodies. We've got little goodie packs for everybody who plays and shirts for all the volunteers and um, links all, of course. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. Just elevate all those little bits to make it feel just a bit more sort of polished, I guess. But the concept, I think, is the winner. I mean, you play four of the best courses in a row, four days in a row with really good players, with people who just love playing golf and want to be competitive. I think it's a pretty good recipe. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, in fairness, last year, this it came together very quickly and you were kind of building the plane as you were flying it. So, um, you know, having an extra year to, to, to tidy up the details was, was no doubt helpful. But there is going to be a team element this year, right? Can you talk us through that? Um, there is a team element. Um, yeah, we just thought we'd just add a bit of interest. I mean, we're not trying to obviously copy that other thing that's going on. Um, <laughs> clearly... Uh, there's interest in team golf. Everyone, when they go play, they play. F- Everyone, when they go play at home, they play four balls. Um, Ryder Cup, President's Cup are the best events in golf. Um, well, outside the sand belt and the wishbone, like you said. Um, I don't know. It's just we're getting four people, and it's just it's just a combined score, and we're paying out sort of the best team for the week com- combination of like men, women, pros, and amateurs in a team. Um, and just sort of their aggregate scores all added up and how they do for the week. So it gives 
maybe some of the players who aren't having the best week um, a chance to sort of have something to play for on Sunday, you know, which I think is pretty exciting. I think sometimes 72-hole tournaments get a bit boring for about 80% of the field in the last round. And also I think uh, it gives a chance for the young kids to play with the pros and be a part of the whole thing and um, AMS and pros team up together. And, yeah, it'll be. I think it's really, really – it's a cool element and I'm – I'm big on team golf. I think we play way too much individual golf. Um, don't get me started on too much stroke play, but that's a different that's a different discussion. But um, yeah, I think we just added a team element. We're just just a few. Uh, just there's, there's just more interest on Sunday, or, or it's not going to be Sunday on the on the fourth round, you know, and uh, more things to follow, and everyone gets a chance to gets a chance to sort of have two things to win, you know. Jeff Jack uh, Jack Nicholas has played in his own or did play in his own tournament for years. And of course, Bobby Jones did as well. Jack with more success than Bob. But what's it like for you to play in your own event? Uh, you've got so many administrative things to take care of, and now you're trying to get a ball in a hole. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. It's interesting. I mean, last year I couldn't really focus too much on the golf, um, which is is amazing to me that Jack. I mean, Jack won Memorial a couple of times, didn't he? I think, which is incredible. I mean, I can think of one, maybe more. Um, I guess he had such a team around him by the end that, but, but after a while that he just he didn't have to do so much, you know. But um, yeah, it's difficult. It's going to be fun though. I mean, I like the courses. I obviously get, you get inspired to play. I mean, we've just played a pretty cool Australian Open at Kingston Heath in Victoria, um, and having a scorecard in your pocket around the sand belt's pretty. It's amazing how the same. Uh, there's something about the sand belt that just it, it comes into its own when. You've got a scorecard in your pocket, and you're playing 72 hole stroke play because it's just every mistake gets amplified, but every great thing gets amplified. I mean, you can make a string of six pars in a row and be really, really happy with that. Um, and then you can make a couple of eagles really quick because it's kind of short. So it's it's got a bit of that sort of Augusta scoring side of things where it's really, really difficult. But the opportunities when they present, they're there and they're really good ones. So um, it's going to be fun. Four different days. Hopefully, I can play well. I mean, I didn't play very well in the Australian Open, but I played okay the week before, so the golf's okay. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. It's more about I just I'm probably just going to be making sure everyone has a good time, and hopefully, I can have a good score and not not let my score affect how much fun I have, <laughs> which is hard to do. Jeff is such a keen student of Lynx golf. I've always sort of wanted to ask this question. I've never had the right person to ask. It seems like Lynx golf is built for match play and here you are having stroke play events and of course it happens every year at, at the open championship uh, but do you feel that at all do you feel like links golf l- lends itself more naturally to, to match play than stroke play i mean i'll controversial here a little bit maybe but i think golf lends itself to match play to be honest <laughs> um i think it's a far more interesting opponent having another person as an opponent the stroke play you're the opponent you're your own opponent. You beat yourself up your whole life, basically trying to be better than who you are, which obviously you can't be. Um, it's the most frustrating sport possible. But match play, all of a sudden, you have great fun, you know, because you're playing against your mates and um, it gets ultra competitive and then you have a beer afterwards or a Coke or whatever you want to do. Um, I I find match play infinitely more interesting than stroke play. Um, I think stroke play is a great thing to say, maybe find out the best players in the world and it's it's uh it's a great test of golf to play 72 holes around augusta or 
the old course or Oakmont or Pinehurst or Royal Melbourne or something. And it's a fantastic sort of side of golf. But if I was a, not a professional golfer, I would only ever play match play for sure. I think it's just way more fun. So I think we should have more match play tournaments, but it, it clearly hasn't worked. So, um, I mean, look at the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup. I mean, they are just – that is golf at its highest level, I think, when you watch those things. So, um, And you're right, Lynx golf – I think the better the golf course, the more it suits the game of golf in general. And I, th- I think match play is probably a better version of golf. So, uh, um, links a better course would do that better, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I can't, Michael and I have had plenty of spirited matches through the years and many holes have been won with a bogey or even a double bogey. It gives you a reason to keep living when you're in a match and, um, instead of just like bumming out, Oh, I'm not going to break 80 or I'm not going to break 90 or whatever it is. Like that goes out the window. Yeah. And you can give the, you can give the two, you don't have to putt the two footers if you don't want. And, um, it's just, it's a more pleasant experience. I mean, when you're playing stroke play golf, just even, anybody that the handicap thing baffles me a little bit you are basically trying to compare yourself against every golfer in the world ever every time you play like what a miserable sort of thing to try to do there you know um way more fun to just give you have a bit of banter with your friend and you know you make it hit it out of bounds let's just go the next you know you both got three footers that you don't really like let's just go the next match play you can play the golf that you want to play you know you're not dictated to the um restrictions of having to compare yourself against every other golfer in the world that day so yeah i mean look it's it's stroke play has its place absolutely to find the best player but um i think match play is more fun and and you you literally don't have to get the ball in the hole you could just if you've had enough you just pick up which of course everybody knows but i mean this in the context of the golf course doesn't have to be so perfect you sort of need a perfect golf course for 72 holes of stroke play because guys do have to be able to finish a hole and if you've got crazy wind or crazy gorse or crazy anything you kind of can't really do it so match play is like here's the course if this hole doesn't work out just you know, start again on the next. So it's just, it's less perfection oriented. Of course, Augusta National has had so much to do with our obsession with, you know, what constitutes a a perfect golf course. But I think we're, I think you, Jeff, and we are onto something in this conversation about why match play and links seaside golf is is superior. Yeah, no, I I agree. Let's talk about the Sandbelt Invitational though. Um, Just kidding. This stuff's more interesting. It's just the sand building. Run down the four again. Two I knew. What were the other two? So round one, Kingston Heath, Royal Melbourne West Course, Yarra Yarra, which is um, probably unheard of from outside of Australia, but it's right next door to Kingston Heath and Commonwealth and um, right in the same. It's in the sand belt and it's a great course, fantastic greens. It's sort of hard to stand out. On the sand belt, it's a bit like Quaker or something next to Wingfoot. You've just got no chance, right? Um, it's it's just a brilliant course. And then Peninsula Kingswood West, uh, sorry, West Course, North Course, and Peninsula King was a bit of a newcomer. I mean, it's been there for a long time, but it had a big. Um, they generated a lot of money through a land sale ten years back, and just it always obviously had the bones of being incredible. And now, arguably, there'd be a lot of people who would turn up saying it would be their favourite, I think. It's incredible eye candy. Like, it's very dramatic looking. It's in the best condition of all the courses in Melbourne, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's a pretty special place, PK North and South. So, yeah, I mean, 
four really, really good causes. I mean, spoil that was the one thing that we got out of last year. We had um, I've never been a tournament director, or like I'm not a tournament director, but I've never sort of put on a tournament. But I don't think because I generally don't do this. Um, I've done it, but I don't do it very often. We got a note from I think sixty nine of seventy two players or something saying, "Wow, how good was that? Please invite me next year." <laughs> wow. And, you know, that doesn't happen. You know what we're like. Um, so, <laughs> we're not very grateful usually. So, yeah, we obviously did something right. And I think the coolest part about it is there's a lot of ego in golf and superintendents don't escape from that disease. So, we had all clubs in general. So, we had Kingston Heath showing off against Royal Melbourne, against the Ariara, against Peninsula. None of them, they all wanted to be better than the other one. So they all showed off, had their best pins, had the course presented as well as they could. And I think part of the beauty of the tournament is you're always going to get these four golf clubs and supers competing against each other because they want to be the one that stands out amongst the really good courses, you know. So it sort of guarantees cool conditions and cool setup. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. It was like playing Sunday at the Australian Open four days in a row last year. It was just, it was absolutely nuts. So um, it got everybody really excited. And as I said, we've elevated a few little, a few of the little things. It's going to feel more like a tournament, more like a polished up sort of tournament. Um, nah, it's going to be incredible. Well, Michael, you know, you know how modest our, our, our co-host is here, but Jeff had a hand in, in redoing a big hand in redoing Prince like Kingswood. And, um, so how stressful is that, Jeff? You're not only, you're not only the, the co-host, but you're essentially the, the course redesigner and, um, if if there's a if there's a iffy pin or a, you know a hole's not playing right because of the wind and uh, you know you spent your whole life probably muttering under your breath about the the setup and the the architect and now you're that guy so did that add any stress to your life? Oh, not too much. I mean, um, pins are a bit interesting. Yeah, we certainly want to check out the pins they want to use. But see, that's another. I think there's a little bit of Melbourne's got a track record just historically of getting a little bit carried away with green speeds. I mean, this has been happening for 50 years. Um, so, and I think we finally got over it in two, the early 2000s. We had an Australian Open where the greens were too far. It was a perfect day. It wasn't even windy and the balls were rolling off the greens. And I think everyone sort of, all the clubs and the powers that be and everyone had a bit of a timeout and said, look, nah, let's just have a really good tournament and let's put the pins in sensible spots and not have the greens at 17. Let's just have them at 12. And, um, so, because you can get these greens that fast. So, I think there's kind of a bit of insurance because because they want their course to look so good, they're not going to want – it's more of a look good and there's there's young kids in this field and guys and girls and a whole breadth. They're not going to put the pins in crazy spots, but we definitely are sort of uh, keeping an eye on where they want to put the pins, sure. <laughs> um, and you also, there's a story to tell. It's an interesting – 72 holes, when they're really set up well, let's say the Masters sets up, they set that up so perfectly. It's like a story, right? It's a little bit difficult on Thursday and then they give you a chance on Friday and then it gets really tough on Saturday and then Sunday's sort of got a bit of everything and last nine holes, it's just great fun if you're playing well. Um, it's like a novel almost, right? It's like it goes up, there's ups and downs of easiness and hardness and easy pins and tough pins. Um we kind of got to try to create a little bit of that. Last year, I think, if anything, it was it was a little bit too hard every day. 
because everyone was trying to have their course at their absolute Sunday pins. Um, but that's there's kind of an appeal to that as well, you know. So, um, yeah, I'll try not to curse out the architect and the designers <laughs> and um, hopefully the pins are all good. How many different sets of tees do you use for this event, Jeff? It's just two, I think. Um, the kids, uh, they're all pretty elite amps, you know. Um, they're all scratchy. I mean, there's some incredible players, 14, 15, some of the girls. I mean, they're almost elite world class anyway. You know what sort of how good girls, good girl golfers can get, how quick they get really good. Um, just men's and women's, I think. Uh, yeah, they're all pretty elite. I mean, it's I say kids. They're, they're kids for us guys. Um, they're, yeah, elite. They, they can shoot under par, you know. So, um, yeah, it'll be good. I mean, and that's one of the aspects to this tournament, which is really cool is – so the animating spirit was to bring together these different generations of golfers and it, it was born in COVID when a lot of the Australians didn't really have the option to travel widely. So that mentorship between the old grizzled pros and, and these, these elite teenagers who are trying to, trying to make their way. Uh, do you have any favorite stories, Jeff, about some of the relationships that, that were born at the event last year and have carried on now and, um, and, and how they've, these young players careers and lives have been improved. Yeah, I don't have any specific stories. It's just such a cool because uh, one. I mean, if if you'd sort of asked me when I, I got back to Australia a few years ago, um, and just wanted to spend a bit of time here, and people asked me, oh, "Are you going to sort of help out a little bit with golf?" and I'm like, thought about it a little bit, and I thought, well, when I was a kid, what what can I sort of provide that wasn't that I didn't have that would be great? And it was playing with people like me. You know, there'd been always been, and there kind of still is really in golf around the world, I think, is this amateur pro divide is quite, it's quite a solid wall, you know. Um, and you generally, when you're AM, you play with AMs and when you get to turn pro, you only really get to play with the good players when you get good enough as a pro to get in the good tournaments. You know, you start off in the small mini tours and little ones and you don't really get to play with elite great players until you are one. So... We just tried to create an opportunity where that would happen. Um, and we do it a little bit more. We have a lot of one-day sort of things and stuff down here where me and a bunch of the tour players who are floating around will play with some of these young kids, which I think is I would have loved when I was a kid. And so we just tried to get the best players. It's really the best players we can find, man, woman, pro or amateur, and put them all on the best courses we can find, really, I guess is the there's a real sort of theory to the whole thing. So I mean, yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot of these the, the people. The kid who won at Brady Watt last year that was his first tournament win. He'd been a great amateur and he'd been sort of banging away as a pro for a little bit, but struggling. Um, some of the young kids, young young girls, especially, have sort of gone on and grown. And I mean, a year is a long time for a sixteen year old. You know, when the sixteen year old is a little kid, and then the next year they turn up, they're seventeen and they're shaving and they're <laughs> you know they're a big kid or whatever. You know. Um, it's um yeah they've all had a good year I've I know them uh, lots of them really really well um, as I said we do sort of lots of one dayers during the year so there's sort of a really good community down here now of elite golfers who want to who love playing golf and want to make golf their life be it guys people like me who are grizzled and grumpy and been doing it for thirty five years 
and there's kids who are just wide-eyed and excited and frothing about the experience of going out to play with some play another tournament you know so and it's everything in between so i guess just the relationships that form you know um you play you get to play rounds of golf with it's cross sections of young girls with mike clayton you know or sort of young boys going out to play with sort of suo or something so lpga players and stuff so you get um this great sort of cross connections of people who normally you go through life and you wouldn't even see them in your golf life but we put them all in one one, one, one tournament um and sort of nice sort of relationships and connections and networks form and people get inspired and people learn a bit about golf and yeah it's just i think i'm not it's 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 far from perfect but i think it's a really nice model for a golf tournament jeff what was uh, camp davis's path into the event um, well, I wandered around with him, um, President's Cup quite often, and I'll, you know, I'll assign a, an assistant captain to a group or two, you know, and you'll go around and make sure they've got sandwiches and enough Gatorade and, um, whatever. Can you run back to the van and get my other shoes? Cause these ones are giving me blisters and all that, you know, like what we do. And I was with, um, Cam and Adam for a couple of their games, the President's Cup and just wandering around and revving them up and, just being there if they needed anything. And Cam was, I don't know, it was between one of the alternate shots or something where we went up the fairway and Scotty was in the tee shot. And um, Cam's like, that sandbell last year, I'm sorry I couldn't come. I really want to come this year. You know, I'm like, well, whatever you want to do. And then he texted us pretty soon after that actually uh, and said, I'm coming for sure. I'm, I know I'm back in Australia the whole time. Put me down, I'm playing. So um, Cam just loves golf. I mean, he's the ultimate tour pro. You know, he just loves golf thinks golf, works on golf. Every decision he makes is around being a better golfer um, and just just loves everything about it. And he spent, like a lot of the Aussie tour players or Aussies in general who were outside of Australia when the pandemic came along, they all got stuck outside for two or three years. He, hadn't been, he hasn't been back here for three years and I don't think he played any real tournaments on sand belts ever or since, since sort of amateur golf. So, um, yeah, he was very, very keen at the President's Cup. And then a couple of weeks later, he backed up, backed up his enthusiasm and texted us and said, put me down. I'm definitely coming. So, that was pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really neat. And what an experience for a young kid. There's going to be some young kids who get to go out and play with a kid, a guy, one of the best players in the world who just played in the President's Cup. That's just, just sort of part of what the tournament's all about. No, that's cool. And that's one of the reasons why it's held so close to Christmas, right, is hoping to get folks who are coming back home. Uh, and you know, maybe you can pick off some other players of like a Cam Davis stature in, in the years to come. They're like, oh, I want to just go home for the holidays, but I want to stay sharp. And is, is that part of the date? Yeah. I mean, look, the date's a few things. I mean, a couple of weeks earlier, um, it, it'll always be in December for sure. When we first um, put this to these clubs coming out of COVID last year, we, we'd had sort of two two sort of four or five month patches of no golf at all in Victoria at least. So we were just coming out of no golf at all and we were trying to suggest to these golf courses, hey, can we come and steal your golf course for a day? And then we thought the members the members were like, mm, um, we haven't been on here we haven't been on here for a month, like or four months. You can't really like steal our golf course for a day. So we sort of went late in December because that gets quiet and people were getting ready for Christmas. 
it also adds up because a lot of these kids go to school um, and it helped if they missed four days of, I mean, it's very late in school, obviously, like December, but for here in Australia, but um, it helped that they didn't have to worry about that. The parents could get them there. They didn't have to worry about missing too much school and stuff. So it'll always be in December and the courses are great in summer because um, obviously Australia summers, we're upside down in Australia. So um, the courses are probably just starting to come into their best in December and the later you hold it, sort of the better they are. So at the moment, December, I think is a really good date for a lot of reasons. Um, and it's really late in December. Um, and yeah, the, there's, there's nothing on in the world. It's the only tournament in the world, I think, that week, which is getting harder and harder to find a week where there's no professional golf tournaments because we seem to be adding more golf tournaments and taking them away, which is good. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, December 20th to 23rd are the dates. Uh, we will definitely be blowing it out on firepitcollective.com and our social channels, and um, it, it's really going to be fun. I, I know that Colt and Benny and I are bringing our clubs. That's optimistic given how busy the days are, but maybe we can sneak in a little twilight golf. Um, we're going to be staying at Peninsula Kingswood, which I can't wait to see. It's, um, I think the term golf porn applies just the photos, and the videos. It looks absolutely amazing. So, uh, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a great show. Um, if, if people want to get involved somehow, Jeff, uh, as, as fans or, um, people in the game where would you direct them besides our channels like how else can they they engage with the tournament uh there's a pretty good website um sandbelt invitational um i don't know the exact address but if you just look for sandbelt invitational the website you can register if you want to come to one of the tournaments i think you just have to register online or register on the app um it's free entry um but you just put your thing down and come along you know um four different days um, I guess I, I don't know about anything else, but if you want to come along, just go to the website. It's got all the information. I, sh- I should be up to speed with all of that sort of stuff, but I know the website's really good. Just check that out. and um, Yeah, late December, if you want to come and see good players play the best courses in Australia, come have a look. Yeah, and maybe actually uh, I've been an evangelist for the sand belt. You know, Matt, Janelle, and I and a couple others went came, came your way and um, – 2019 we did all the sandbelt courses not all of them we did a lot of them we we hit king's island where um played cape wickham which might be my favorite course on planet earth went to barn boogle like i've been saying this for a while if, especially if you're on the west coast like i am of the u.s to get to st andrews you're gonna have to change planes somewhere and door to door i can fly nonstop from san francisco into into melbourne it's pretty much the same journey and I would say the golf is as good or better than anything you're going to find in Scotland or Ireland. And, and the experience of it is, is so special. So might be a little late in the ball game for some listeners, but I would say 2023 book a whole golf trip to Melbourne, come watch some of the sand belt. It would be the trip of a lifetime We're, maybe we'll, this gives us a year to workshop that maybe we'll, we'll, we'll put something together for, for the listeners and the readers of fire pit collective. Like we could have a hoedown, Get more more American golfers down there to see these courses would be would be super cool. But uh, food for thought. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Look, I think so. Look, when when Americans for whatever reason, everybody loves the sand belt. It's just there's something unique, something about it. There's, you don't see it anywhere else in the world. It's sort of a lot of people come in. I mean, Tiger loves it. Um, almost all the anyone of any level comes and says they, they leave saying, oh, that might be my favourite version of the game. You know, it really is unique and special and 
um, yeah, it would be definitely – it would be a fun if, if like a little fire pit sort of crew dragged a few people down. I think, yeah, you couldn't have, you couldn't have a bad time. If you love golf um, and you came and had a sand belt trip, you'd have a good time. That'd be amazing. And of course, the Aussies are so much fun. Like one of my favorite memories in golf was at the end of this long trip, we played until dark at Victoria and uh, went into the clubhouse and had dinner. And because, you know, Matt and I had had been tweeting about the trip and putting stuff on Instagram, kind of folks knew we were there and all these members were in the clubhouse. They kept wandering over the table and they were buying us drinks and we were we were uh, our friends Tom June and Kevin Price on the trip. We were we just had a pen and a piece of paper and we were trying to rank our favorite courses from the trip. We wound up playing eight courses in the world top one hundred because we stopped in New Zealand as well and um, played Tar Edie and and it was just and then people are looking at our list. They're walking around the table, looking at the other guys' list, and they're offering their commentary. You know, maybe Victoria is definitely better than the blah blah blah. It was just the most convivial. Um, gathering and it was really it was really special of course you have peter thompson waiting for you in that statue as you come in it's just like perfect ender to an absolutely epic trip so um but anyway jeff when you're working on a really classic midwestern american golf course like medina you know as far away from an ocean as could be not even near lake but does some of your love of links golf show up in in the work that you're doing there yeah, I think so. I mean, everywhere is different, obviously. And I think one of the mistakes that's been made by everybody who's an architect is, well, or not a mistake, it's a, everyone has the ambition, I want to build this somewhere else. And you just can't. There's something unique about the sand. I mean, the sand belt, um, just be, the name sort of gives it away. There's lots of belts of sand in the world. You know, there's one in Georgia, you know, there's, there's Nebraska sand hills. I mean, there's sand everywhere, but the sand in Melbourne is really, really unique. It's sort of very angular, they tell me, and it just compacts really hard and you can just cut an edge to a bunker against a green and it doesn't cave in, it doesn't get soft. You can drive a mower over it and it doesn't, it's just, it turns into concrete effectively. Um, but then you rake it a little bit and it just gets perfect. Um, it's really unique sand. So, you kind of, I guess you learn the lessons. Like you go to the old course and the old course probably influences every golf course you ever build, you know, but you don't build the old course, you know. You sort of try to find the lessons or the sort of what's this, why is this so great? Can we recreate this sort of philosophy in a Midwest situation, you know? So I think we're obviously, we're clearly all three of us, me, Michael and Ashley at our um, at OCM, we're clearly heavily influenced by the sand belt but we wouldn't ever really try to recreate it anywhere else we just sort of try to learn from the lessons that shows you you know yeah it's tough because the bunkers the bunkers what everyone falls in love with in melbourne and you just you'd love to be able to build them everywhere because everyone would build them because they're so it's so nice to have the green edge at the bunker you know you can have such more interesting looking pin you can have a pin three or what three yards away from the sand as opposed to most places where you've got the little band of fringe grass you end up having the the pins three from the edge of the green but it's actually five or six from the butt from the sand in melbourne it's actually three from the sand which is a really unique look and scary look sometimes and really amplifies strategy amplifies the angle you need to be on and um you try to you try to do your best you can but you're never gonna sort of be able to do the same thing 
Uh, well, this has been a great little preview of a very special golf tournament. Um, Michael or Jeff, any any parting thoughts for our listeners as we lead into the, the Sandbelt Invitational? No, I'm just excited. It's going to be fun. It's uh, I'm, I'm pumped you guys are coming down here. Um, hopefully, the weather's great. The weather has been atrocious in Melbourne this year. It's been flooding Victoria and stuff, but the, the course is being on sand. They drain really well, so they're all in great shape. So, I mean, hopefully we get a nice – we get spoiled with the weather and we have a good week. That's great. All right. Well, this was a fire drill podcast and starting uh, really the days before the tournament, I would say uh, December 17, 18, we'll start putting out a lot of, a lot of fun content around this event. So thanks for listening. Please tune in. Um, I promise you that it's, it's a, it's an event event worth paying attention to. It's a great model for other golf tournaments. It doesn't have to be about a huge purse and, corporate tents and all this other stuff. It's really pure and it's going to be very special to be there. So this is Alan Shipnuck. That was Jeff Ogilvie and Michael Bamberger. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be coming back to you from Melbourne, Australia at some point uh, with some more conversation about when this tournament wraps up. So that's it for now. Thanks. I bet big and I played to win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about